Ho, ho, ho. Yes, indeed. Hello, small child called Veruca Lumpy. What a lovely name. Aged seven, I believe. Good. Yes, I know it did. All over the nice clean floor, yes. They do, you know. That's one of the things about real pigs. Here we are. Don't mention it. Happy hogs watch and be good. I will know if you're good or bad, you know. Ho, ho, ho. Well, you brought some magic into that little life, said Albert, as the next child was hurried away. It's the expression on their little faces I like, said the hogfather. You mean sort of fear and awe and not knowing whether to laugh or cry or wet their pants? Yes, now that is what I call belief. The O-God was carried into the great hall and laid out on a bench. The senior wizards gathered round, ready to help those less fortunate than themselves remain that way. I know what's good for a hangover, said the dean, who was feeling in a party mood. They looked at him expectantly. Drinking heavily the previous night, he said. He beamed at them. That was a good word joke, he said, to break the silence. The silence came back. Most amusing, said Ridcully. He turned back and stared thoughtfully at the O-God. Raw eggs are said to be good, he glared at the dean. I mean, bad for a hangover, he said. And fresh orange juice. Clatchian coffee, said the lecturer in recent runes firmly. But this fellow hasn't just got his hangover, he's got everyone's hangover, said Ridcully. I've tried it mumbled the O-God. It just makes me feel suicidal and sick. A mixture of mustard and horseradish, said the Chair of Indefinite Studies, in cream for preference with anchovies. Yogurt, said the bursar. Ridcully looked at him, surprised. That sounded almost relevant, he said. Well done. I should leave it at that if I were you, bursar. Hmm. Of course, my uncle always used to swear at wow-wow sauce, he added. You mean swear by, surely, said the lecturer in recent runes. Possibly both, said Ridcully. I know he once drank a whole bottle of it as a hangover cure, and it certainly seemed to cure him. He looked very peaceful when they came to lay him out. Willow bark, said the bursar. That's a good idea, said the lecturer in recent runes. It's an analgesic. Really? Well, possibly, hmm, though it's probably better to give it to him by mouth said Ridcully. I say, are you feeling yourself, Bursa? You seem somewhat coherent. The O-God opened his crusted eyes. Will all that stuff help? he mumbled. It'll probably kill you, said Susan. Oh, good. We could add Engelbert's enhancer, said the Dean. Remember when Mordo put some on his peas? We could only manage one each. Can't you do something more, well, magical, said Susan. Magic the alcohol out of him or something. Yes, but it's not alcohol by this time, is it? said Ridcully. It'll have turned into a lot of nasty little poisons all dancing round his liver. Spole's unstirring divisor would do it, said the lecturer in recent runes. Very simply, too. You'd end up with a large beaker full of all the nasties. Not difficult at all, if you don't mind the side effects. Tell me about the side effects, said Susan, who had met wizards before. The main one is that the rest of him would end up in a somewhat larger beaker, said the lecturer in recent runes. Alive? The lecturer in recent runes screwed up his face and waggled his hands. Broadly, yes, he said. Living tissue, certainly, and definitely sober. I think we had in mind something that would leave him the same shape and still breathing, said Susan. Well, you might have said, 
Then, the dean repeated the mantra that has had such a marked effect on the progress of knowledge throughout the ages. Why don't we just mix up absolutely everything and see what happens, he said. And Rid Calais responded with the traditional response. It's got to be worth a try, he said. The big glass beaker for the cure had been placed on a pedestal in the middle of the floor. The wizards liked to make a ceremony of everything in any case, but felt instinctively that if they were going to cure the biggest hangover in the world, it needed to be done with style. Susan and Bilius watched as the ingredients were added. Round about halfway, the mixture, which was an orange-brown colour, went gloop. Hmm, not a lot of improvement, I feel, said the lecturer in recent rooms. Engelbert's enhancer was the penultimate ingredient. The dean dropped in a greenish ball of light that sank under the surface. The only apparent effect was that it caused purple bubbles to creep over the sides of the beaker and drip onto the floor. That's it, said the O'God. I think the yoghurt probably wasn't a good idea, said the dean. I'm not drinking that, said Billius firmly, and then clutched at his head. But gods are practically unkillable, aren't they, said the dean. Oh, good, muttered Billius. Why not stick my legs in a meat grinder, then? Well, if you think it might help. I anticipated a certain amount of resistance from the patient, said the arch-chancellor. He removed his hat and fished out a small crystal ball from a pocket in the lining. Let's see what the god of wine is up to at the moment, shall we? Shouldn't be too difficult to locate a fun-loving god like him on an evening like this. He blew on the glass and polished it. Then he brightened up. Why, here he is, the little rascal, on done manifesting, I do believe. Yes, yes, reclining on his couch surrounded by naked maenads. What? Maniacs, said the dean. He means excitable young women, said Susan and it seemed to her that there was a general ripple of movement among the wizards, a sort of nonchalant drawing towards the glittering ball. "'Can't quite see what he's doing,' said Ridcully. "'Let me see if I can make it out,' said the Chair of Indefinite Studies, hopefully. Ridcully half-turned to keep the ball out of his reach. "'Ah, yes,' he said, "'it looks like he's drinking. "'Yes, could very well be a lager and black currant, if I may judge.' "'Oh, me!' moaned the O-God. "'These young women now,' the lecturer in recent runes began. "'I can see there's some bottles on the table,' Ridcully continued. "'That one, hmm, yes, could be Scumble, which, as you know, is made from apples. "'Mainly apples,' the dean volunteered. "'Now, about these poor mad girls,' the O-God slumped to his knees. "'And there's that drink, you know, there's a, there's a worm in the bottle. "'Oh, me!' And there's an empty glass, a big one, can't quite see what it contained, but there's a paper umbrella in it, and some cherries on a stick. Oh, <laughs> and an amusing little monkey. Oh. Of course, there's a lot of other bottles too, said Red Cully cheerfully. Different coloured drinks mainly, the sort made from melons and coconuts and chocolate and such like. Don't you know? Hmm. Funny thing is, all the glasses on the table are pint mugs. Billius fell forward. All right, he murmured. I'll drink the wretched stuff. Not quite ready yet, said Ridcully. Ah, thank you, Modo. Modo tiptoed in, pushing a trolley. There was a large metal bowl on it, in which a small bottle stood in the middle of a heap of crushed ice. Only just made this for Hogswatch dinner, said Ridcully. Hasn't had much time to mature yet. 
he put down the crystal and fished a pair of heavy gloves out of his hat. The wizards spread like an opening flower. One moment they were gathered around Ridcully, the next they were standing close to various items of heavy furniture. Susan felt she was present at a ceremony and hadn't been told the rules. What's that? she said as Ridcully carefully lifted up the bottle. Wow, wow, sauce, said Ridcully. Finest condiment known to man. A happy accompaniment to meat, fish, fowl, eggs and many types of vegetable dishes. It's not safe to drink it when sweat's still condensing on the bottle, though. He peered at the bottle and then rubbed at it, causing a glassy, squeaky noise. On the other hand, he said brightly, if it's a kill or cure remedy, then we are, given that the patient is practically immortal, probably on to a winner. He placed a thumb over the cork and shook the bottle vigorously. There was a crash as the chair of indefinite studies and the senior wrangler tried to get under the same table. And these fellows seem to have taken against it for some reason, he said, approaching the beaker. I prefer a sauce that doesn't mean you mustn't make any jolting movements for half an hour after using it, muttered the dean. And that can't be used for breaking up small rocks, said the senior wrangler. Or getting rid of tree roots, said the chair of indefinite studies. And which isn't exactly outlawed in three cities, said the lecturer in recent runes. Ridcully cautiously uncorked the bottle. There was a brief hiss of indrawn air. He allowed a few drops to splash into the beaker. Nothing happened. A more generous helping was allowed to fall. The mixture remained irredeemably inert. Ridcully sniffed suspiciously at the bottle. I wonder if I added enough grated wahoony, he said, and then upturned the sauce and let most of it slide into the mixture. It merely went gloop. The wizards began to stand up and brush themselves off, giving one another the rather embarrassed grins of people who know that they've just been part of a synchronised making-a-fool-of-yourself team. "'I know we've had that as a fetida rather a long time,' said Ridcully. He turned the bottle round, peering at it sadly. Finally, he tipped it up for the last time and thumped it hard on the base. A trickle of sauce arrived on the lip of the bottle and glistened there for a moment. Then it began to form a bead. As if drawn by invisible strings, the heads of the wizards turned to look at it. Wizards wouldn't be wizards if they couldn't see a little way into the future. As the bead swelled and started to go pear-shaped, they turned, and with a surprising turn of speed for men so wealthy in years, and waistline, began to dive for the floor. The drop fell. It went gloop. And that was all. Ridcully, who'd been standing like a statue, sagged in relief. Ugh. I don't know, he said, turning away. I wish you fellows would show some backbone. The fireball lifted him off his feet. Then it rose to the ceiling, where it spread out widely and vanished with a pop, leaving a perfect chrysanthemum of scorched plaster. Pure white light filled the room, and there was a sound. Tinkle, tinkle, fizz. The wizards risked looking round. The beaker gleamed. It was filled with a liquid glow which bubbled gently and sent out sparkles like a spinning diamond. My word, breathed the lecturer in recent runes. Ridcully picked himself up off the floor. Wizards tended to roll well, or in any case are well padded enough to bounce. Slowly, the flickering brilliance casting their long shadows on the walls, the wizards gravitated towards the beaker. Well, what is it? said the dean. I remember my father telling me some very valuable advice about drinks, said Ridcully. He said, Son, never drink any drink with a paper umbrella in it, never drink any drink with a humorous name, and never drink any drink that changes colour when the last ingredient goes in. 
and never, ever do this. He dipped his finger into the beaker. It came out with one glistening drop on the end. Careful, Arch-Chancellor, warned the Dean. What you have there might represent pure sobriety. Ridcully paused with the finger halfway to his lips. Good point, he said. I don't want to start being sober at my time of life. He looked around. How do we usually test stuff? Generally, we ask for student volunteers, said the Dean. What happens if we don't get any? We give it to them anyway. Isn't that a bit unethical? Not if we don't tell them, Arch-Chancellor. Ah, good point. I'll try it, the O-God mumbled. Something these clown gentlemen have cooked up, said Susan. It might kill you. You've never had a hangover, I expect, said the O-God. Otherwise you wouldn't talk such rot. He staggered up to the beaker, managed to grip it on the second go, and drank the lot. Eh, there'll be fireworks now, said the raven from Susan's shoulder. Flames coming out of the mouth, screams clutching at the throat, lying down under the cold tap, that sort of thing. Death found, to his amazement, that dealing with the queue was very enjoyable. Hardly anyone had ever been pleased to see him before. Next! And what's your name, little... He hesitated, but rallied and continued. Mm, person? Nobby Nobbs, Hogfather, said Nobby. Was it him, or was this knee he was sitting on a lot bonier than it should be? His buttocks argued with his brain, and were sat on. And have you been a good boar, a good dwarf, a good no, a good individual? And suddenly Nobby found he had no control at all of his tongue. Of its own accord, gripped by a terrible compulsion, it said, Yes. He struggled for self-possession as the great voice went on. So I expect you'll want a present for a good monster, good humour, a good male. Aha, got you, banged to rights. You'll be coming along with me, my old chummy. I bet you don't remember the cellar at the back of the shoelace makers in old cobblers, eh? All those hogs watch mornings with a little hole in my world, eh? The words rose in Nobby's throat, but were overridden by something ancient before they reached his voice box, and to his amazement were translated into... Yes. Something nice? Yes. There was hardly anything left of Nobby's conscious will now. The world consisted of nothing but his naked soul and the Hogfather who filled the universe. And you will, of course, be good for another year. The tiny remnant of basic Nobbiness wanted to say... Uh, how exactly do you define good, mister? Like, suppose there was just some stuff that no one had miss, say? Or, for instance, say a friend of mine was on patrol, sort of thing, and found a shopkeeper had left his door unlocked at night. I mean, anyone could walk in, right? But suppose this friend took one or two things, sort of like, you know, a gratuity, and then called the shopkeeper out and got him to lock up. That counts as good, does it? Good and bad were to Nobby's way of thinking entirely relative terms. Most of his relatives, for example, were criminals. But again, this invitation to philosophical debate was ambushed somewhere in his head by sheer dread of the big beard in the sky. Yes, he squeaked. Now, I wonder what you would like. Nobby gave up and sat mute. Whatever was going to happen next was going to happen, and there was not a thing he could do about it. Right now, the light at the end of his mental tunnel showed only more tunnel. Ah, yes. The Hogfather reached into his sack, 
and pulled out an awkwardly shaped present wrapped in festive hogswatch paper, which, owing to some slight confusion on the current hogfather's part, had merry ravens on it. Corporal Nobbs took it in nervous hands. What do you say? Thank you. Off you go. Corporal Nobbs slid down gratefully and barged his way through the crowds, stopping only when he was fielded by Constable Visit. What happened? What happened? I couldn't see. I don't know, mumbled Nobby. He gave me this. What is it? I don't know. He clawed at the raven-bedecked paper. This is disgusting, this whole business, said Constable Visit. It's the worship of idols. It's a genuine, burly and strong-in-the-arm, double-action, triple-cantilever crossbow with a polished walnut stock and engraved silver facings. A crass commercialisation of a date which is purely of astronomical significance, said Visit, who seldom paid attention when he was in mid-denounce. If it is to be celebrated at all, then... I saw this in bows and ammo. It's got editor's choice in the what-to-buy-when-rich-uncle-Sydney-dies category. They had to break both the reviewer's arms to get him to let go of it. Ought to be commemorated in a small service of... It costs more than a year's salary. They only make them to order. You have to wait ages. Religious significance. It dawned on Constable Visit that something behind him was amiss. Aren't we going to arrest this imposter, Corporal? he said. Corporal Nobbs looked blearily at him through the mists of possessive pride. You're foreign, Washpot, he said. I can't expect you to know the real meaning of Ogswatch. The Ogod blinked. Ugh, he said. Hmm, that's better. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a lot better, thank you. The wizards who shared the raven's belief in the essential narrative conventions of life watched him cautiously. Any minute now, said the lecturer in recent runes confidently. It'll probably start with some kind of amusing yell. You know, said the ogod, I think I could just possibly eat a soft-boiled egg. Or maybe the ears spinning round. And perhaps... Drink a glass of milk, said the O-God. Ridcully looked nonplussed. You really feel better, he said. Oh, yes, said the O-God. I really think I could risk a smile without the top of my head falling off. No, 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 said the Dean. This can't be right. Everyone knows that a good hangover cure has to involve a lot of humorous shouting, etc. I could possibly tell you a joke, said the O-God carefully. You don't have this... Pressing urge to run outside and stick your head in a water butt, said Ridcully. Um, not really, said the O-God, but I'd like some toast if that helps. The Dean took off his hat and pulled a thaumometer out of the point. Something happened, he said. There was a massive thaumic surge. Didn't it even taste a bit, well, <laughs> spicy, said Ridcully. It didn't taste of anything, really said the O-God. Oh, look, it's obvious, said Susan. When the god of wine drinks, Bilius here gets the after-effects. So when the god of hangovers drinks a hangover cure, then the effects must jump back across the same link. That could be right, said the Dean. He is, after all, basically a conduit. I've always thought of myself as more of a tube, said the O-God. No, no, she's right, said Ridcully. When he drinks, this lad here gets the nasty result. So logically... When our friend here takes a hangover cure, the side effects should head back the same way. 
someone mentioned a crystal ball just now, said the O-God in a voice suddenly clanging with vengeance. I want to see this. It was a big drink, a very big and a very long drink. It was one of those special cocktails where each very sticky, very strong ingredient is poured in very slowly so that they layer on top of one another. Drinks like this tend to get called traffic lights or rainbow's revenge or, in places where truth is more highly valued, hello and goodbye, Mr. Brain Cell. In addition, this drink had some lettuce floating in it and a slice of lemon and a piece of pineapple hooked coquettishly on the side of the glass which had sugar frosted round the rim. There were two paper umbrellas, one pink and one blue, and they each had a cherry on the end. And someone had taken the trouble to freeze ice cubes in the shape of little elephants. After that, there's no hope. You might as well be drinking in a place called the Coco Cobana. The god of wine picked it up lovingly. It was his kind of drink. There was a rumba going on in the background. There were also a couple of young ladies snuggling up to him. It was going to be a good night. It was always a good night. Happy Hogswatch, everyone, he said and raised the glass. And then, can anyone hear something? Something blew a paper squeaker at him. No, seriously, like a sort of descending note. Since no one paid this any attention, he shrugged and nudged one of his fellow drinkers. How about we have a couple more and go to this club I know, he said. And then... The wizards leaned back and one or two of them grimaced. Only the O-God stayed glued to the glass, face contorted in a vicious smile. We have eructation, he shouted and punched the air. Yes, yes, yes! The worm is on the other boot now, eh? <laughs> How do you like them apples? <laughs> well, mainly apples, said the dean. Look like a lot of other things to me, said Red Cully. It seems we have reversed the cause-effect flow. Will it be permanent? said the O-God, hopefully. I shouldn't think so. After all, you are the god of hangovers. It'll probably just reverse itself again when the potion wears off. Then I may not have much time. Bring me, uh, let's see, uh, twenty pints of lager, some pepper vodka and a bottle of coffee liqueur with an umbrella in it. Let's see how he enjoys that, mister. You've got room for another one in there. Susan grabbed his hand and pulled him over to a bench. I didn't have you sobered up just so you could go on a binge, she said. He blinked at her. You didn't? I want you to help me. Help you what? You said you'd never been human before, didn't you? Um... The O-God looked down at himself. That's right, he said. Never. You've never incarnated, said Ridcully. Surely that's a, a, a rather personal question, isn't it? Said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. That's right, said the O-God. Odd that. I remember always having headaches, but never having a head. That can't be right, can it? You existed in potentia, said Ridcully. Did I? Did he? said Susan. Ridcully paused. Oh dear, he said. I think I did it, didn't I? I said something to young Stibbons about drinking and hangovers, didn't I? And you created him just like that, said the dean. I find that very hard to believe, Mustrum. <laughs> Out of thin air. I suppose we can all do that, can we? Anyone care to think up some new pixie? Like the hair loss fairy, said the lecturer in recent runes. The other wizards laughed. 
I am not losing my hair, snapped the dean. It is just very finely spaced. Half on your head and half on your hairbrush, said the lecturer in recent runes. No sense in being bashful about going bald, said Ridcully evenly. Anyway, you know what they say about bald men, Dean. Yes, they say, look at him, he's got no hair, said the lecturer in recent runes. The Dean had been annoying him lately. For the last time, shouted the Dean, I am not. He stopped. There was a glingalingalingalingalingalinga noise. I wish I knew where that was coming from, said Ridcully. Er, uh, the dean began, is there something on my head? The other wizards stared. Something was moving under his hat. Very carefully he reached up and removed it. A very small gnome sitting on his head had a clump of the dean's hair in each hand. It blinked guiltily in the light. Uh, yeah, is there a problem? it said. Get it off me, the dean yelled. The wizards hesitated. They were all vaguely aware of the theory that very small creatures could pass on diseases, and while the gnome was larger than such creatures were generally thought to be, no one wanted to catch expanding scalp sickness. Susan grabbed it. Are you the hair loss fairy? she said. Uh, apparently, said the gnome, wriggling in her grip. The dean ran his hands desperately through his hair. What have you been doing with my hair? he demanded. Well, some of it I think I have to put on hairbrushes said the gnome, but sometimes I think uh, I weave it into little mats to block up the bath with. What do you mean you think? said Ridcully. Just a minute, said Susan. She turned to the O-God. Where exactly were you before I found you in the snow? Um, sort of uh, everywhere, I think, said the O-God. Anywhere where drink has been consumed in beastly quantities some time previously, you could say. Aha, said Ridcully. You were an imminent vital force, yes? I suppose I could have been, the O-God conceded. And when we joked about the hair loss fairy, it suddenly focused on the Dean's head, said Ridcully, where its operations have been noticeable to all of us in recent months, although, of course, we have been far too polite to pass comment on the subject. You're calling things into being, said Susan. Things like the give the dean a huge bag of money goblin, said the dean, who could think very quickly at times. He looked around hopefully. Anyone hear any fairy tinkling? Do you often get given huge bags of money, sir? said Susan. Not on what you'd call a daily basis, no, said the dean. But if, um, <laughs> then there probably isn't any occult room for a huge bags of money goblin, said Susan. I personally... "'Have always wondered what happens to my socks,' said the bursar cheerfully. "'You know how there's always one missing. "'When I was a lad, I always thought that something was taking them.' "'The wizards gave this some thought. "'Then they all heard it, "'the little crinkly, tinkling noise of magic taking place. "'The arch-chancellor pointed dramatically skywards. "'To the laundry!' he said. "'It's downstairs, Ridcully,' said the dean. "'Down to the laundry!' And you know Mrs. Whitlow doesn't like us going in there, said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. And who is Arch-Chancellor of this university, may I ask? said Ridcully. Is it Mrs. Whitlow? I don't think so. Is it me? Why, how amazing, I do believe it is. Yes, but you know what she can be like, said the Chair. Um, yes, that's true, Ridcully began. 
I believe she's gone to her sister's for the holiday, said the bursar. We certainly don't have to take orders from any kind of housekeeper, said the Arch-Chancellor. To the laundry! The wizards surged out excitedly, leaving Susan, the Ogod, the Veruca Gnome and the Hairloss Fairy. Tell me again who those people were, said the Ogod. Some of the cleverest men in the world, said Susan. And I'm sober, am I? Clever isn't the same as sensible, said Susan, and they do say that if you wish to walk the path to wisdom, then for your first step you must become as a small child. Do you think they've heard about the second step? Susan sighed. Probably not, but sometimes they fall over it while they're running around shouting. Ah, oh, the Ogod looked around. Do you think they have any soft drinks here, he said. The path to wisdom does in fact begin with a single step. Where people go wrong is in ignoring all the thousands of other steps that come after it. They make the single step of deciding to become one with the universe and for some reason forget to take the logical next step of living for 70 years on a mountain and a daily bowl of rice and yak butter tea that would give it any kind of meaning. While evidence says that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, they're probably all on first steps. The dean was always at his best at times like this. He led the way between the huge ancient copper vats, prodding with his staff into dark corners and going, hut, hut, under his breath. Why would it turn up here? whispered the lecturer in recent runes. Point of reality instability, said Ridcully, standing on tiptoe to look into a bleaching cauldron. Every damn thing turns up here. You should know that by now. But why now? said the chair of indefinite studies. No talking, hissed the dean, and leapt out into the next alleyway, staff held protectively in front of him. Ha! he screamed, and then looked disappointed. Ah, uh, how big would this sock-stealing thing be? said the senior wrangler. Don't know, said Ridcully. He peered behind a stack of washboards. Come to think of it, I must have lost a ton of socks over the years. Me too, said the lecturer in recent runes. So should we be looking in small places or very large places? The senior wrangler went on in the voice of one whose train of thought has just entered a long dark tunnel. Good point, said Ridcully. Dean, why do you keep referring to sheds all the time? It's hut, Mustrum, said the dean. It means... It means small wooden building, Ridcully suggested. Well, sometimes agreed, but other times, well, well, you just have to say hut. This sock creature, does it just steal them or does it eat them? said the senior wrangler. Valuable contribution, that man, said Ridcully, giving up on the dean. Right, pass the word along. No one is to look like a sock, understand? How can you? the dean began and stopped. They all heard it. It was a busy sound. The sound of something with a serious appetite to satisfy. The eater of socks, moaned the senior wrangler with his eyes shut. How many tentacles would you expect it to have, said the lecturer in recent rooms. I mean, roughly speaking. It's a very large sort of noise, isn't it? said the bursar. To the nearest dozen, say, said the lecturer in recent runes, edging backwards. <laughs> It'd probably tear our socks off as soon as look at us, wailed the senior wrangler. Ah, so at least five or six tentacles then, would you say? 
said the lecturer in recent runes. Seems to me it's coming from one of the washing engines, said the dean. The engines were each two stories high and usually only used when the university's population soared during term time. A huge treadmill connected to a couple of big bleached wooden paddles in each vat, which were heated via the fireboxes underneath. In full production, the washing engines needed at least half a dozen people to manhandle the loads, maintain the fires and oil the scrubbing arms. Ridcully had seen them at work once when it had looked like a picture of a very clean and hygienic hell, the kind of place soap might go to when it died. The dean stopped by the door to the boiler area. Something's in here, he whispered. Listen. It's stopped. It knows we're here, he hissed. All right. Ready? Hut! No, squeaked the lecturer in recent runes. I'll open the door and you'll be ready to stop it. One, two, three. Oh. The sleigh soared into the snowy sky. On the whole, I think that went very well, don't you? Yes, master, said Albert. I was rather puzzled by the little boy in the chain mail, though. I think that was a watchman, master. Really? Well, he went away happy, and that's the main thing. Is it, master? There was worry in Albert's voice. Death's osmotic nature tended to pick up new ideas altogether too quickly. Of course, Albert understood why they had to do all this, but the master... Well, sometimes the master lacked the necessary mental equipment to work out what should be true and what shouldn't. And I think I've got the laugh working really well now. Ho, ho, ho! Yes, uh, very jolly, said Albert. He looked down at the list. Still, work goes on, eh? The next one's pretty close, master, so I should keep them down low if I was you. Jolly good. Who, who, who? Sarah, the little match girl, doorway of Thimble's Pipe and Tobacco Shop, Money Trap Lane, it says here. And what does she want for Hogswatch? Ho, ho, ho. You know, never seen a letter. By the way, just a tip, you don't have to say ho, ho, ho all the time, master. Let's see, uh, says here, Albert's lips moved as he read. I expect a doll is always acceptable, or a soft toy of some description. The sack seems to know. What have we got for her, Albert, ho, ho, ho? Something small was dropped into his hand. This, said Albert. Oh. There was a moment of horrible silence as they both stared at the lifetimer. You're for life, not just for Hogswatch, prompted Albert. Life goes on, master, in a manner of speaking. But this is Hogswatch night. Very traditional time for this sort of thing, I understand, said Albert. I thought it was the season to be jolly said Death. Ah, well, yes, you see, one of the things that makes folks even more jolly is knowing that there's people who ain't, said Albert in a matter-of-fact voice. That's how it goes, Master. Master? No! Death stood up. This is how it shouldn't go. The university's great hall had been set for the Hogswatch Night Feast. The tables were already groaning under the weight of the cutlery, and it would be hours before any real food was put on them. It was hard to see where there would be space for any among the drifts of ornamental fruit bowls and forests of wine glasses. The Ogard picked up a menu and turned to the fourth page. 
coarse floor, mollusks and crustaceans. A medley of lobster, crab, king crab, prawn, shrimp, oyster, clam, giant mussel, green-lipped mussel, thin-lipped mussel and fighting tiger limpet. With a herb and butter dipping sauce. Wine, three wizards chardonnay, year of the talking frog, beer, winkle's old peculiar. He put it down. That's one course, he said. They are big men in the food department, said Susan. He turned the menu over. On the cover was the university's coat of arms, and over it three large letters in ancient script. Eater, beta, pie. Is this some sort of magic word? No, Susan sighed. They put it on all their menus. You might call it the unofficial motto of the university. What's it mean? Eater, better, pie. Bilius gave her an expectant look. Yes? Er, uh, like, eat a better pie, said Susan. That's what you just said, yes, said the O-God. Er, uh, no. You see, the letters are Ephebian characters which just sound a bit like eat a better pie. Ah, oh, Bilius nodded wisely. I can see that might cause confusion. Susan felt a bit helpless in the face of the look of helpful puzzlement. No, she said, in fact they are supposed to cause a little bit of confusion and then you laugh. It's called a pun, or play on words. Eat a beta pie. She eyed him carefully. You laugh, she said, with your mouth. Only, in fact, you don't laugh because you're not supposed to laugh at things like this. Perhaps I could find that glass of milk, said the O-God helplessly, peering at the huge array of jugs and bottles. He'd clearly given up on sense of humour. I gather the Arch-Chancellor won't have milk in the university, said Susan. He says he knows where it comes from and it's unhygienic. And that's a man who eats three eggs for breakfast every day, mark you. How do you know about milk, by the way? I've got memories, said the O-God. Not exactly of anything uh, specific, just, you know, memories. Like, I know trees usually grow green end up, that sort of thing. I suppose gods just know things. Any special godlike powers? I might be able to turn water into an enervescent drink. He pinched the bridge of his nose. Is that any help? And it's just possible I can give people a blinding headache. I need to find out why my grandfather is acting strange. Can't you ask him? He won't tell me. Does he throw up a lot? I shouldn't think so. He doesn't often eat. The occasional curry, once or twice a month. He must be pretty thin. You've no idea... Well, then, does he often stare at himself in the mirror and say, uh, or stick out his tongue and wonder why it's gone yellow? You see, it's possible I might have some measure of influence over people who are hung over. If he's been drinking a lot, I might be able to find him. I can't see him doing any of those things. I think I'd better tell you. My grandfather is deaf. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, death. Sorry, death. You know, death. You mean the robes and the, the scythe, yes, white horse bones, yes, death. I just want to make sure I've got this clear, said the O-God in a reasonable tone of voice. You think your grandfather is death, and you think he's acting strange. The Eater of Socks looked up at the wizards cautiously. Then its jaws started to work again. Here, that's one of mine, said the chair of indefinite studies, making a grab. The eater of socks backed away hurriedly. 
It looked like a very small elephant with a very wide flared trunk, up which one of the chair's socks was disappearing. "'Funny-looking little thing, ain't it?' said Ridcully, leaning his staff against the wall. "'Let go, you wretched creature!' said the chair, making a grab for the sock. "'Shoo!' The sock-eater tried to get away while remaining where it was. This should be impossible, but it is in fact a move attempted by many small animals when they are caught eating something forbidden. The legs scrabble hurriedly, but the neck and feverishly working jaws merely stretch and pivot around the food. Finally, the last of the sock disappeared up the snout with a faint sucking noise, and the creature lumbered off behind one of the boilers. After a while, it poked one suspicious eye around the corner to watch them. "'They're expensive, you know, with the flax-reinforced heel,' muttered the chair of indefinite studies. Ridcully pulled open a drawer in his hat and extracted his pipe and a pouch of herbal tobacco. He struck a match on the side of the washing engine. This was turning out to be a far more interesting evening than he had anticipated. "'We've got to get this sorted out,' he said as the first few puffs filled the washing hall with the scent of autumn bonfires. "'Can't have creatures just popping into existence because someone's thought about them. It's unhygienic.' The sleigh slewed around at the end of Money Trap Lane. "'Come on, Albert!' "'You know you're not supposed to do this sort of thing, Master. You know what happened last time.' "'The Hogfather can do it, though.' "'But little match-girls dying in the snow is part of what the Hogswatch spirit is all about, Master,' said Albert desperately. "'I mean, people hear about it.' and say, we may be poorer than a disabled banana and only have mud and old boots to eat, but at least we're better off than the poor little match girl, Master. It makes them feel happy and grateful for what they've got, see? I know what the spirit of Hogswatch is, Albert. Sorry, Master, but look, it's all right anyway, because she wakes up and it's all bright and shining and tinkling music and there's angels, Master. Death stopped. Ah, they turn up at the last minute with warm clothes and a hot drink. Oh dear, thought Albert. The master's really in one of his funny moods now. Uh, no, not exactly at the last minute, master. Not as such. Well? More sort of just after the last minute, Albert coughed nervously. You mean after she's... Yes, that's how the story goes, master. It's not my fault. Why not turn up before? An angel has quite a large carrying capacity. Couldn't say, Master. I suppose people think it's more satisfying the other way. Albert hesitated and then frowned. You know, now that I've come to tell someone, it... Death looked down at the shape under the falling snow. Then he set the lifetimer on the air and touched it with a finger. A spark flashed across. You ain't really allowed to do that, said Albert, feeling wretched. The Hogfather can. The Hogfather gives presents. There's no better present than a future... Yeah, but... Albert! All right, master. Death scooped up the girl and strode to the end of the alley. The snowflakes fell like angels' feathers. Death stepped out into the street and accosted two figures who were tramping through the drifts. Take her somewhere warm and give her a good dinner, he commanded, pushing the bundle into the arms of one of them. And I may well be checking up later. Then he turned and disappeared into the swirling snow. Constable Visit looked down at the little girl in his arms and then at Corporal Nobbs. "'What's all this about, Corporal?' Nobby pulled aside the blanket. "'Search me,' he said. "'Looks like we've been chosen to do a bit of charity.' "'I don't call it very charitable just dumping someone on people like this.' "'Come on,' 
There'll still be some grub left in the watch house, said Nobby. He'd got a very deep and certain feeling that this was expected of him. He remembered a big man in a grotto, although he couldn't quite remember the face, and he couldn't quite remember the face of the person who had handed over the girl, so that meant it must be the same one. Shortly afterwards, there was some tinkling music and a very bright light, and two rather affronted angels appeared at the other end of the alley, but Albert threw snowballs at them until they went away. Hex worried Ponder Stibbons. He didn't know how it worked, but everyone else assumed that he did. Oh, he had a good idea about some parts, and he was pretty certain that Hex thought about things by turning them all into numbers and crunching them. A clothes ringer from the laundry, or CWL, had been plumbed in for this very purpose. But why did it need a lot of small religious pictures? And there was the mouse. It didn't seem to do much, but whenever they forgot to give it its cheese, Hex stopped working. There were all those ram skulls. The ants wandered over to them occasionally, but they didn't seem to do anything. What Ponder was worried about was the fear that he was simply engaged in a cargo cult. He'd read about them. Ignorant and credulous people, whose island might once have been visited by some itinerant merchant vessel that traded pearls and coconuts for such fruits of civilization as glass beads, mirrors, axes and sexual diseases, would later make big model ships out of bamboo in the hope of once again attracting this magical cargo. Ignorant is a state of not knowing what a pronoun is, or how to find the square root of 27.4, and merely knowing childish and useless things like which of the 70 almost identical-looking species of the purple sea snake are the deadly ones, how to treat the poisonous pith of the sago-sago tree to make a nourishing gruel, how to foretell the weather by the movements of the tree-climbing burglar crab, how to navigate across a thousand miles of featureless ocean by means of a piece of string and a small clay model of your grandfather, how to get essential vitamins from the liver of the ferocious ice bear, and other such trivial matters. It's a strange thing that when everyone becomes educated, everyone knows about the pronoun, but no one knows about the sago-sago. And credulous is having views about the world, the universe, and humanity's place in it that are shared only by very unsophisticated people and the most intelligent and advanced mathematicians and physicists. Of course, they were far too ignorant and credulous to know that just because you built the shape, you didn't get the substance. He'd built the shape of Hex, and it occurred to him he'd built it in a magical university where the border between real and not real was stretched so thin you could almost see through it. He got the horrible suspicion that somehow they were merely making a solid sketch that was hidden somewhere in the air. Hex knew what it ought to be. All that business about the electricity, for example. Hex had raised the subject one night not long after it had asked for the mouse. Ponder prided himself that he knew pretty much all there was to know about electricity. But they'd tried rubbing balloons and glass rods until they'd been able to stick Adrian onto the ceiling, and it hadn't had any effect on Hex. Then they'd tried tying a lot of cats to a wheel, which, when revolved against some beads of amber, caused any amount of electricity all over the place. The wretched stuff hung around for days, but there didn't seem to be any way of ladling it into Hex, and anyway, no one could stand the noise. So far, the Arch-Chancellor had vetoed the lightning rod idea. All this depressed Ponder. He was certain that the world ought to work in a more efficient way, and now even the things that he thought were going right were going wrong. He stared glumly at Hex's quill pen in its tangle of springs and wire. The door was thrown open. Only one person could make a door bang on its hinges like that. Ponder didn't even turn round. Hello again, Arch-Chancellor. That thinking engine of yours working? 
said Ridcully. Only there's an interesting little... It's not working, said Ponder. It ain't. What's this, a half-holiday for Hogswatch? Look, said Ponder. Hex wrote, plus, 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 whoops, here comes the cheese. Plus, 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 melon, 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 plus, 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 error at address, 14 Treacle Mine Road, Ark Moorpork. Plus, 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 exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Plus, 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 one, 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 plus, 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 redo from start, plus, plus, plus. What's going on? said Ridcully, as the others pushed in behind him. I know it sounds stupid, Arch-Chancellor, but we think it might have caught something off the bursar. Daftness, you mean? That's ridiculous, boy, said the Dean. Idiocy is not a communicable disease. Ridcully puffed his pipe. I used to think that too, he said. Now I'm not so sure. Anyway, you can catch wisdom, can't you? No, you can't, snapped the Dean. It's not like flu, Ridcully. Wisdom is, well... Instilled. We bring students in here and hope they catch wisdom off us, don't we? said Ridcully. Well, metaphorically, said the Dean. And if you hang around with a bunch of idiots, you're bound to become pretty daft yourself, Ridcully went on, I suppose in a manner of speaking. And you've only got to talk to the poor old bursar for five minutes, and you think you're going a bit potty yourself, am I right? The wizards nodded glumly. The bursar's company, although quite harmless, had a habit of making one's brain squeak. So Hex here has caught daftness off the bursar, said Ridcully. Simple. Real stupidity beats artificial intelligence every time. He banged his pipe on the side of Hex's listening tube and shouted, Feeling all right, old chap? Hex wrote, Plus, plus, plus. Hi, mum is testing. Plus, plus, plus. Melon, melon, melon. Plus, plus, plus. Out of cheese error. Plus, plus, plus. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Plus, plus, plus. Mr. Jelly, Mr. Jelly. Plus, plus, plus. Hex seems perfectly able to work out anything purely to do with numbers, but when it tries anything else, it does this, said Ponder. See? Bursa disease, said Ridcully. The bee's knees when it comes to adding up, the pig's ear at everything else. Try giving him dried frog pills? Sorry, sir, but that is a very uninformed suggestion, said Ponder. You can't give medicine to machines. Don't see why not, said Ridcully. He banged on the tube again and bellowed, Soon have your back on your... your yes, indeed, old chap. Uh, where's that board with all the letter and number buttons, Mr Stibbons? Ah, good. He sat down and typed with one finger as slowly as a company chairman. Deride frog half pills. Hex's pipes jangled. That can't possibly work, sir, said Ponder. It ought to, said Ridcully. If he can get the idea of being ill, he can get the idea of being cured. He typed, lots of dried frog per quarter ulls. Seems to me, he said, that this thing believes what it's told, right? Well, it's true that Hex has, if you want to put it that way, no idea of an untruth. Right. Well, I've just told the thing it's had a lot of dried frog pills. It's not going to call me a liar, is it? There were some clickings and whirrings within the structure of Hex. Then it wrote, plus, plus, plus. Good evening, Arch-Chancellor. I am fully recovered and enthusiastic about my tasks. Plus, plus, plus. Not mad, then. Plus, plus, plus. I assure you I am as sane as the next man. Plus, plus, plus. Bursa, 
Just uh, move away from the machine, will you? said Ridcully. Oh, well, I expect it's the best we're going to get. Right, let's get all this sorted out. We want to find out what's going on. Anywhere specific or just everywhere, said Ponder, a shade sarcastically. There was a scratching noise from Hex's pen. Ridcully glanced down at the paper. Says here, implied creation of anthropomorphic personification, he said. Hmm, what's that mean? Er, uh, I think Hex has tried to work out the answer, said Ponder. Has it, by gods? I hadn't even worked out what the question was yet. It heard you talking, sir. Ridcully raised his eyebrows, then he leaned down towards the speaking tube. Can you hear me in there? The pen scratched. Plus, 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 yes, plus, plus, plus. Looking after you all right, are they? You don't have to shout, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder. What's this mm, implied creation, then, said Ridcully. Uh, I think I've heard of it, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder. It means the existence of some things automatically brings into existence other things. If some things exist, certain other things have to exist as well. Like uh, crime and punishment, say, said Ridcully. Drinking and hangovers, of course. Something like that, yes, sir. So, hmm, if there's a, a tooth fairy, then there has to be a Veruca gnome. Ridcully stroked his beard. Makes a sort of sense, I suppose, but why not a wisdom-tooth goblin? You know, bringing them extra ones, some little devil with a bag of big teeth. There was a silence, but in the depths of the silence there was a little tingly fairy bell sound. Um, do you think I might have, uh, Ridcully began. Sounds logical to me said the senior wrangler. I remember the agony I had when my wisdom teeth came through. Last week, said the dean and smirked. Ah, said Ridcully. He didn't look embarrassed, because people like Ridcully are never, ever embarrassed about anything, although often people are embarrassed on their behalf. He bent down to the ear trumpet again. You still in there? Ponder Stibbons rolled his eyes. Mind telling us what the reality is like round here? The pen wrote... Plus, 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 on a scale of one to ten, dash, query, plus, plus, plus. Fine, Ridcully shouted. Plus, 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 divide by cucumber error. Please reinstall universe and reboot, plus, plus, plus. Hmm, interesting, said Ridcully. Anyone know what that means? Damn, said Ponder, it's crashed again. Ridcully looked mystified. Has it? I never even saw it take off. I mean, it's it's sort of gone a little mad, said Ponder. Ah, said Ridcully. Well, we're experts at that round here. He thumped on the drum again. Want some more dried frog pills, old chap? He shouted. Uh, I should let us sort it out, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder, trying to steer him away. What does divide by cucumber mean? said Ridcully. Oh, Hex just says that if it comes up with an answer that it knows can't possibly be real, said Ponder. And this, um, rebooting business. Give it a good kicking, do you? Oh, no, of course not. We, that is, well, yes, in fact, said Ponder. Adrian goes round the back and, um, prods it with his foot. But in a, in a technical way, he added. Ah, I think I'm getting the hang of this thinking engine business, said Ridcully cheerfully. So it reckons the universe needs a kicking, does it? Hex's pen was scratching across the paper. Ponder glanced at the figures. 
It must do. These figures can't be right. Ridcully grinned again. You mean either the whole world has gone wrong, or your machine is wrong? Yes. Then I'd imagine the answer's pretty easy, wouldn't you? said Ridcully. Yes, it certainly is. Hex gets thoroughly tested every day, said Ponder Stibbons. Good point, that man, said Ridcully. He banged on Hex's listening tube once more. You down there! You really don't need to shout, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder. What's this anthropomorphic personification, then? Plus, plus, plus. Humans have always ascribed random, seasonal, natural, or inexplicable actions to human-shaped entities. Such examples are Jack Frost, the Hogfather, the Tooth Fairy, and Death. Plus, plus, plus. Oh, them. Yes, but they exist, said Ridcully. Met a couple of them myself. Plus, plus, plus. Humans are not always wrong. Plus, plus, plus. All right, but I'm damn sure there's never been an eater of socks or a god of hangovers. Plus, plus, plus. But there is no reason why there should not be. Plus, plus, plus. The thing's right, you know, said the lecturer in recent runes. A little man who carries verrucas around is no more ridiculous than someone who takes away children's teeth for money when you come to think about it. Yes, but what about the eater of socks, said the chair of indefinite studies. Bursa just said he always thought something was eating his socks, and bingo, there it was. But we all believed him, didn't we? I know I did. Seems like the best possible explanation for all the socks I've lost over the years. I mean, if they'd just fallen down the back of the drawer or something, there'd be a mountain of the things by now. I know what you mean, said Ponder. It's like pencils. I must have bought hundreds of pencils over the years, but how many have I ever actually worn down to the stub? Even I've caught myself thinking that something's creeping up and eating them. There was a faint glingalingalingal noise. He froze. What was that? he said. Should I look round? Will I see something horrible? Looks like a very puzzled bird, said Ridcully. With a very odd-shaped beak, said the lecturer in recent runes. I wish I knew who's making that bloody tinkling noise, said the Arch-Chancellor. <laughs>